All right, welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, episode number 100. Not quite a spectacular, but we're going to do something a little bit different because I've been wanting to review this episode of WCW Thunder for a long time now. First off, let me thank everybody for listening into the podcast, hopefully for all 100 episodes. Launched this bad boy back in June of 2020, right in the peak of the pandemic era in professional wrestling, which was a weird time, but honestly had some really cool stuff to kind of look back on over the course of the first two years of this podcast. has gone through a lot of difficult times, also some changes here and there, but appreciate you sticking along for the ride. Absolutely great to have 100 episodes in the books. And this is a different episode than normal. We're not going to get into any of the big headlines as much as I want to get into a lot of the big headlines in the world of professional wrestling over the last week. Because boy, oh boy, there are a lot, especially if you're an AEW fan. But we'll save those. We'll table that for a future episode, namely episode 101. I wanted to get to this podcast for one reason and one reason only. That's because this was the first ever wrestling event I went to. And I'm talking period. Because around this time, I'm going to go ahead and kind of unbox a few things. There was an episode I did a while back, December, uh, the Christmas 2020 episode, where I actually went back and reviewed the episode when Austin stunned Santa. That was the first time I ever watched wrestling as a kid. Because it was kind of, I wouldn't say forbidden. But very much kind of wasn't necessarily something I watched. I remember a lot when I was growing up, my uncle on my dad's side, like we, he kind of got me into wrestling. And around when I was 10 years old, that's when I really started to deep dive into the sport. Started watching a lot of Nitros and watching a lot of Thunders, all that. And absolutely loved every second of it just everything about pro wrestling at that point in time and it was more WCW was what I was watching I wasn't watching as much of the WWF at the time I want to probably watching more of that in the year 2000 because that's when things started to really pick up on that side where I was actually paying a little bit more attention to that and WCW was falling to the wayside outside of your land storm run which Mind you, that was probably the one thing I remember the most about 2000's WCW was the run that Lance Storm had, which was an all-timer run, which we'll probably get into more down the road. But what I was watching at the time was largely WCW, especially Thunder, because I had a little bit of an earlier bedtime at that time when I was 10 years old. So the first ever wrestling show I went to, this was June 24th, 1999. This was a WCW Thunder Not one, but two tapings in one night. A four-hour show of wrestling. And was hands down one of the coolest things ever. A packed house at the Cajun Dome. June 24th. They did that one, and then they did the next week. Which was okay. I watched both of them before. But honestly, I think this one had a lot more meat to it. Because obviously, it was actually taped a few days after. And it was live right after the big show they had in New Orleans, which we'll talk about more as the show goes on. But first, I want to go through some observer notes from the the week of and the week after to kind of get you an idea of what was going on in the world of professional wrestling at the time. 
And one of the big headlines, without a doubt, has to be the Owen Hart aftermath of him falling to his death after Over the Edge, which, again, was a weird... It was like a sad thing that happened. It was like right around the time I was really getting into being a wrestling fan. I played a lot of the video games, enjoyed the action figures, but wasn't really watching week to week. This was that moment where I was starting to watch a lot more week to week, or at least that my brain remembers, like fully enjoying pro wrestling. And of course, there was at the time, the Hart family filed a lawsuit against the WWF the week of June 21st. Vince and Linda McMahon were sued along with the WWF, the stunt coordinators, and the manufacturers of the harness and cables used, the city of Kansas City, and the owners of the Kemper Arena, alleging negligence in the stunt that killed him. Martha Hart, her children, and Owen's parents, Stu and Helen, were listed as plaintiffs. They all, along with Brett, appeared at a press conference when the lawsuit was announced. My children have lost their father. I have lost the love of my life because of the greed of the WWF and its insistence that its wrestlers take ever ever greater chances to attract entertainment dollars in this era of extreme sports. This is from Martha Hart. And another big headline that I think I low-key remember a lot of for some reason, I when I was reading through this, it's like, oh, hey, I remember this. And it's more because I think when this happened or one of the times she showed up on Nitro, I think I was in... Gulf Shores, Alabama on a family vacation. I just remember them bringing up Rena Miro and bring up the wife of Mark Miro. I remember hearing that a lot. So Sable made her appearance on WCW Nitro the week before, being shown multiple times in the front row, which raised, raises a lot of legal issues. They show close-ups and also had a wave at the camera, though they never identified her. Bischoff only barely acknowledged it on commentary, according to Meltzer, saying that he's seen that woman in Playboy. Last week, they did an angle where someone drove a Humvee into Nash's limo, and on WCW's website, Bischoff hinted that Sable was the driver, which we'll get into a little bit later on. And WCW just had their Great American Bash, which was one of the worst shows of all time, and that's saying something. And Dave Meltzer goes on to say, the company reeks of desperation right now, and the event saw the return of Sid Vicious, who he said, quote, has walked out on every contract and every company he's been with for his entire career. Plus, he was fired from WCW a few years ago for trying to murder Arn Anderson with a pair of scissors. That comes into play a little bit later on during a infamous reboot episode of Nitro the next year. And rumors that Arn Anderson okayed this deal are false. He was never told about it in advance and found out Sid had signed with WCW when he showed up to the arena. Looking at ECW, this is, again, from the June 21st Observer newsletter. The ECW TNN deal hasn't been announced officially, but it's pretty much a done deal. ECW will still run their syndicated shows, but none of the footage that airs there, or, excuse me, on the TNN show, can be used on their syndicated programs, which is really going to hurt those shows. But ECW has to keep those syndication deals in place, because if the TNN deal, excuse me, doesn't work out or got canceled, foreshadowing, they'd be left without any television, and that would pretty much kill the company. Again, foreshadowing. And they and Meltzer goes on to say, don't expect a lot of storylines or angles to take place on the shows anymore that are syndicated. It'll almost entirely be done on the TNN show. Right now, ECW is just staying the course, not doing any major storylines, and kind of just starting to do some of those big angles and maybe redo some old angles with new wrestlers 
is the majority of the audience that they expect to get from the TNN deal won't be familiar with ECW's past. And I was one of those, which I remember whenever I first saw ECW and TNN, it was like a random Friday night. And there was a, a big Friday night block they had at the time with TNN, where I think it was like rollerball on Friday nights, Friday nights after ECW and like monster jam. And again, as a kid from Louisiana wrestling, monster trucks, rollerball, Hell yeah, let's ride on a Friday night. That was the best kind of like lineup heading into your weekend. Then we get to the Observer Notes for June 28th. And it's becoming even less clear about what the hell is going on with Sable on Nitro. It did nothing for the ratings either that week or the following. All it did was strengthen WWF's case against WCW in the antitrust lawsuit. WCW is claiming that she bought a ticket and just happened to show up to their show, which is absolute BS because she was sitting front row with security guards on either side of her, meaning that it's clear that she was there for a reason. And she didn't show up until more than an hour into the show and then left soon after being shown on camera. Sable's explanation was even dumber. She was quoted in USA Today saying, I wanted to see if the same level of obscenity was taking place in WCW like it is in the WWF and said it was not. Wait six months. Sable has gotten a lot of publicity out of the lawsuit, appearing on various shows and doing media interviews, basically trashing the WWF and calling it obscene, which is kind of hilarious when you think about all the stuff that she was doing at the time and was one of the leading stars of this obscene content at the time. And we see more about the lawsuit come out the next week in the Observer Newsletter and one of the lawyers in... Then Gary C. Robb, he was recognized as one of the best lawyers in America and has kind of got these record high settlements, winds up getting a record high settlement for the Hart family and saying that, you know, they were alleging negligence, failure to provide proper equipment, proper training, and failure to follow basic safety procedures, etc. And for what it's worth, this is kind of a quick sidebar. No one's ever done this again. Like, Sting never lower from the ceiling, I think, again. I think they might have done it once, or my brain is misremembering here, that they did it one time in TNA in the impact zone. But obviously, that's a lot more of a different ball game versus what we saw in WCW and the WWF, where you did it in stadiums. But NBA mascots were banned from coming down from the ceiling as well, so... They made the right decision, I think, to kind of avoid any further lawsuits if something similar to that happened again. And again, going back to ECW, the deal wasn't finalized as of the June 24th Observer Newsletter. And there may have been a snag due to Rob Van Dam's recent interview in High Times Magazine, where he talks about smoking pot. It's a magazine about the Mary Jane. What did you expect him to talk about? But according to Meltzer, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. And ECW is expected to sign with TNN very soon, with the first show likely debuting in August, which I don't think was that far off on the timeline. There's no word on how will this will all work out as far as tapings and what can be shown where. Because again, the TNN show footage and what happens on the syndicated shows are two very different things. And in news of who to thunk it, Kurt Hennig's anti-rap redneck group at the time is actually getting over with the WCW crowds, which we're going to talk about right from the jump when we talk about WCW, WCW Thunder interview. 
and they're supposed to be heels, but they are getting over like Rover. And WCW is aware of it and not very happy about it. So they're planning to bring in Willie Nelson to film a vignette with Hennig. And Hennig was going to try and buddy up with Willie, but that got shut down very quickly. And they and Belcher goes on to say they want country music fans to also think Hennig's group is uncool. Are you serious? Seriously. Trying to promote a redneck group of rappers, redneck group of country singers against a group of rappers in the South. How do they think this is going to go? Like, I don't understand how the hell that was even a thought process. And one more observer note, and then we'll get to what the competition was doing at the time. Because they had a crazy ass card on Monday night. Which I'll get to in a little bit. But this is kind of wild. Chris Jericho apparently did some concerts in Atlanta with a band known as Fozzie Osborne in 1999 in that weird kind of middle ground between when he went to WWE after being let go or quitting, however you want to put it. And Jericho was the lead singer and said he was good er in the business by this point. That's heavy metal, not Jericho I'm talking about, which I kind of find funny. So, yeah, that was a thing that happened. And, you know, Fozzie now is one of the bigger bands in rock and roll and also fans sing Judas in the arena, which is really cool when you think about it because that was, because originally Fozzie was just a kind of joke band, if you remember kind of the origins of it. It was very much a cover band and not taking itself too seriously. Now, what was the competition doing at the time? We'll go more with the WWE They were building up to King of the Ring 99. That's when Billy Gunn won and then got buried to absolute hell. But that's a different conversation. But this card for Raw was insane. So you open up with Jeff Jarrett, Ken Shamrock, and Tess in a triple threat match for the WWE Intercontinental title. Jarrett wins in 2 minutes and 27 seconds. The Rock beats Edge in 3 minutes 34 seconds. You had a gorilla press slam match between Viscera and Mark Henry that ended in two minutes and 13 seconds. You had a match that wasn't the main event, was like in the middle of the show. Steve Austin versus Big Boss Man with Shawn Michaels as a special guest referee. And the winner decides the main event stipulations for the King of the Ring match. Shane and Vince were at ringside. So that's absolutely nutty. Steve Austin won the match in 633. Prince Albert and Draws. Excuse me, Prince Albert withdraws. Beat. Sorry, one more time. Prince Albert versus Val Venus withdraws at ringside for Prince Albert. Ended it in a no contest. You had Mr. Ass and the APA. Now, now they were then called the Acolytes. Defeated DX and Kane in a six-man tag to retain the WWF Tag Team Championship, which is mind-boggling in and of itself. I don't understand how that happened. And that was in a minute and 10 seconds. Again, this is Vince Russo era. Big Show beat Bob Holly in a hardcore match. Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson defeated Shane and Vince by DQ in 225. And the main event, Undertaker beat Triple H for the WWF Championship by DQ to retain his title in 636. And now we get to the main course of this show after some preamble and all the kind of wrestling news and rumor and innuendo about what's going on in the sport at the time. 
It's time to get to WWE Thunder. Again, this is like the first ever wrestling show I went to. And honestly, it doesn't hold up as well as I thought it did. First off, right out of the gate, they show the crappy 1999 WCW logo with the giant C. I just, that was the Logo I grew up on, but at the same time, I've grown to hate it. Not a fan of it, but also, I'm just a bigger fan of the old school WCW one. Hell, even the red WCW logo that they had for the invasion, that one was kind of cool. I'm going to have to pull it up right now. The, yeah, the WCW one where you had the big C, but it didn't like look all jacked up like the WCW one did towards the end. The one that used for the invasion angle. That was so much better than the like very weird starry WCW logo. Just wasn't a fan of it. That said, I did like the Thunder intro here at the time with a Hollywood sign featuring all the projection wrestlers projecting on the letters. Then the Thunder and Lightning come down. Really cool stuff. Then we get to the absolutely amazing kind of set. And it's that WCW Thunder set, which is probably one of my favorites of all time outside of a WCW Saturday night with the door for the entrance way. But this is like that giant metal structure. That's the WCW Thunder venue and, and setup that I love. And I wish we saw more of that and just uniqueness versus maybe what we see in 2022, where every arena kind of looks the same week in and week out. And again, this was a really cool one. Then you have Mike Tanay on commentary, who in my mind is easily one of the best play-by-play guys, just pure. And it's probably, I'd say, number two. Because I think Kevin Kelly's number three for me, but I really associate him more with being a backstage interview, which he was great at his role. Jim Ross always be one of the best play-by-play guys. I'd say before it's all said and done, Excalibur probably winds up in that Top three, if not top two, conversation. So after they introduce, you know, Larry, they have Larry Chance coming through the arena, and it was loud as I'll get out. I can vividly remember those Larry Chance coming through the Cajun Dome. Always was a great gimmick in WCW. And Larry Zabisco, I probably haven't watched much of his actual matches, but I'll be damned he was entertaining as hell, especially in WCW and also in TNA as a really solid authority figure at the time. So they recap the No Limit Soldiers West Texas Redneck segment from Nitro in New Orleans the Monday before. Two groups started brawling after Kurt Hennig tried to give them a cowboy hat as a gift. And it was weird watching this because the frame rate on this was like 30 FPS. It was definitely a product of the of its time. Like when I watched this, I'm like, yeah, this is 100% just a thing that happened. In 1999, whenever you're trying to recap video and, ma- and doing it live, it just felt off and everything else about it was kind of strange. Maybe it was also just the way they wanted to do it to convince people, hey, like we want you to watch Nitro every week. It's fucking work. Just go. I don't think it wound up working out all that well for WCW at the end of this. I don't think that worked out at all for WCW at the time. And mind you, I think the end result wound up being... True, because WCW folded just about two years later. We open the show with a live performance of the West Texas Rednecks Rap is Crap, which is absolutely awful, but in all the right ways. Hands down, one of the most absurd gear I've ever seen in a ring. 
or just a wrestling show period. They're rocking camo gear, cowboy hats, orange vests, looking like every single redneck stereotype imaginable. And I'm dying laughing seeing Kurt, a guy from Minnesota, supposed to be a freaking country music star from the South. And he has the tobacco chew in his front pocket. The entire thing is just completely cursed. But honestly, I freaking love it. It's WCW in a nutshell. They try and rip the Hootie Who t-shirt. They couldn't. This show's already off the rails. And fans at the end of the segment were booing the hell out of them because it was clear they were lip-syncing the crap out of this. Pun intended there. So you get to the opening contest. And this is not like anything I thought I remembered. With Eddie Guerrero and Psychosis opening the show, the fact they open up a thunder with this, and this was Eddie's second matchup back because he had gotten in a car accident about six months prior that ended the LWO, and now we get these two putting on a really good match in the ring. And this is the first sign that like this is a late 90s, early 2000s, WCW or WWE event in the crowd. There are a handful of fans, not on the hard cam or anything. They're more on the side, but they're on the side where you're seeing a lot of the brawling on the outside going, wearing shirts representing this week in wrestling or TWIW as you'll see it pop up a little bit more. And by the way, that was probably one of the, my favorite things to watch when I was growing up was this this week in wrestling was always the show to watch because you'd get the smackdown spoilers you'd get some really cool classic matches that they would wind up airing and it was also just really cool at the time how that to a certain extent and maybe you could say the same for all public access television was the first podcast like to a certain extent especially about pro wrestling and i always say it it's crazy how much that show had an influence on a lot of people and had a lot of influence on the Acadian area when it comes to wrestling. And for those who don't remember or maybe are a little bit younger and don't remember this existing, what TWIW was was very much Cajun Strong style, but I think had a lot more of a bigger following because you had Chad Vadreen, Judd Lorman, who is now part of the CBS program, Navy SEALs. Those two, along with a noted UL fan, Duke, those three guys could talk wrestling till the wheels fell off. And just watching that show back in the day was really cool. It felt to a certain extent like how Wrestling Observer Radio is now, where you'd get a lot of the inside scoops that maybe you weren't able to get because, hey, you didn't pay the money to get the Observer newsletter. Hey, you didn't have all these tapes. I mean, the dude had like a tape trading business back then. Like, and that was kind of how a lot of us watched wrestling at the time. It's not like now where you can just pop up Peacock and immediately, and immediately watch ECW or WCW Thunder like this one. But seeing all that kind of brought me back to a different time frame. And I've mentioned it before that, I mean, this week at wrestling gave us all access wrestling, which was another great thing that I remember a lot about my teenage years was watching though that about like a two year run they had where they were putting on some 
fantastic shows like 2002, 2003, seeing AJ Styles whenever he's just kind of starting to break through in the scene, making waves and TNA, Ring of Honor a little bit, but we didn't really pay attention to Ring of Honor all that much because you didn't have a TV product, number one. And number two, I was like 13 years old. I wasn't tape trading. Never did, which I did. But this was a really cool match overall. Eddie wound up winning after a frog, frog, excuse me, frog splash to the back. But just so much like cool spots throughout. Stuff I never really saw before. Like, for instance, Eddie wound up wedging psychosis into the steps, between the steps and the corner post, and then just drop kicked it. That looked like a rough spot, but damn, it looked cool. Really fun match between those two. Then we go backstage. Evan Courageous is talking with Rick and David Flair, Asia, Arn Anderson. And the whole idea of this segment basically is to say Flair wants Evan to lay down for David Flair to keep him undefeated because he was like only his sixth match in terms of televised, I guess. And Flair wanted to keep him undefeated and Arn was going to give him the signal and he was going to take the L. We come back down from commercial and we get another 30 FPS replay of Nitro with Sid Vicious coming out and helping Macho Man beat up the cruiserweights. There's a promo with Nash and Sting where Sting says he wasn't driving the Hummer. Luger saves Sting. And Sting is almost getting beat up by Sid Vicious. Luger comes out, saves the day. Segment's over. Kevin Nash comes out for a town hall and this dude looked like he just left backstage after rolling a doobie. The way he was dressed 100% was like the most I don't give a F type vibe I've ever seen. He's got a short sleeve button down and jorts. And again, this is 1999, very different kind of style. But my God, that's a that's a look. So Nash comes in, talks about coming to WCW a few years ago, changing the game three years ago, runs down his opponents at the Bash of the Beach, and basically says he doesn't trust Sting and is convinced he was driving the Hummer and leaves the arena, which we'll get to in a little bit because we continue to hear more about that as the show goes on. Tag team match. Fit Finley and Dave Taylor versus Perry Saturn and Chris Benoit, which is a complete mind bleep to me. Because when I, I talk about it all the time, like some of the wrestling shows I've been to, I've seen Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, Kamala. I've seen Dusty Rhodes wrestle at the Robichaux Center. The fact I got to see Fit Finley, Dave Taylor, and Chris Benoit all in a ring together is wild, especially at 10 years old. Saturn looked like he was at his physical peak at this point. Dude was yoked. Nick Patrick, he always had that look, like Kenny Powers look, but I think at this point, he was perfecting the Kenny Powers curly-ass mullet looking like he belongs in a CMT early 90s music video. He is hitting it all in my mind. They go to a commercial break, and again, this is maybe just how I've been conditioned to watch wrestling, but watching a show where they're like, oh, hey, let's go to commercial break, and they actually tell you they're going to break, and they show a little thing, Nitro or Thunder returns after this. It's something I'm not used to, because we see picture in picture a lot more in 2022. One point, they come back, double Boston Crab from Finley and Dave Taylor on Benoit while ref is distracted. But of course, 
The momentum doesn't last long. Benoit winds up winning after a swan dive headbutt on Dave Taylor for the win. Really fun tag team match. And then I I didn't even remember this at all. Maybe I was going to get like popcorn or something. I don't know. I was like 10. So after the match, Steve Regal comes out. Steve Regal. He wound up coming back from his time in the WWE, which is tumultuous as all get out. Comes back and gets Finley and Dave Taylor to shake hands after they were kind of having a blow up. After the miscommunication ultimately cost them the match. Commercial break. Nitro 30 FPS recap. Then we get a Ric Flair town hall with Mean Gene doing the interviewing. And he attempts to say, Lassez la bonne en relay. Kind of just forces it out. Not necessarily great, but still cool to see. Ric Flair comes out and he's the WCW president at this time. And Asia's coming out with her. Sabisco, line of the night, hands down, saying, wonder how much she can squat. And Tanae is just stunlocked, doesn't say a word. Flair, typical heel crap, runs down the city of Lafayette, Louisiana, calling us illiterate and the women dumb. Flair books the Jersey Triad versus Saturn and Benoit for the tag titles at the pay-per-view but doubles down and says that he's going to have Malenko and Bagwell team up in the main event against Vicious and Savage. Told a fan he'd make his sister, take his sister and ride her around like a baby doll, which is like, what? Flair had some weird stuff going on in WWE in 99, to say the very least. But before the segment's over, the show goes even more off the rails with Flair saying he starts Basically saying, turn the power on, turn the power on. But the power is clearly on. There's lights all around. Don't know what the hell Flair was talking about. But again, that was Ric Flair. Like, going to steal a phrase from Abby Gilmore. Senilitus Maximus. Next match is a singles between Kurt Hennig and Lenny Lane. Very much a squash, to say the least. Kurt's dropkick. I kind of forgot how good that was. But it's crazy to think that I got to see Kurt Hennig wrestle in 1999 as part of the West Texas Rednecks. Hennig won after a ref stoppage. They had a great sign. TWIW loves WCW sign. Again, This Week in Wrestling was awesome back then and wound up having a huge following. Then we get to a Macho Man and Sid Vicious Town Hall. Always weird because I never realized it growing up until I wound up just rewatching some stuff and that was Miss Madness as Molly Holly. Never would have known that. Next thing that happens is they tease the tag team match for the title. This is WCW at its finest, having the world title on the line in a tag team match. Mind you, WWE's done it before, but WCW did it first, and dare I say, did it worse. And they continue to build up the Who Done It with the Hummer, which I wound up looking up after I heard it for the fifth time. Did they ever resolve who freaking drove the Hummer? And they never revealed who drove the fucking Hummer. Like, it's mind-boggling how many storylines have been dropped cold and we never get a resolution. The car running over Austin that happened about three months later. We got a resolution on that. Somebody getting run down with a Hummer. We never got a freaking resolution to that. I don't understand it. Next up, Evan Courageous versus David Flair. David Flair at this point did not fit like a wrestling mold at all. Don't understand what was the point of all of it. But my God, 
it was a complete bleep show from the word go. Match was decent, but then the ending is typical WCWBS, dare I say, lol TNA esque, with David hitting Evan Courageous with a stun gun while the ref is distracted and wins by pinfall. With the figure four to remain undefeated and make Evan Courageous look like even more of a freaking geek. Next up, a hardcore match between Hugh Morris and Van Hammer. Hammer gets power slammed into a trash can. That thing gets like squished like a bug. My God. Then you have Van Hammer fight back, puts on his leather jacket and hits him with a big old lariat, bash him with a trash can in the head. Hammer pulls out a ladder, but gets whipped into it. Morris gets a table. Crowd is going nuts because they were wanting tables. It gets set up and it looks like Morris is going to hit no laughing matter. Flair comes out, stops the match altogether. Saying no more hardcore, no more hardcore. Then Flair turns around, lets the match continue, or at least it seemed like it. And Hugh Morris gets front suplexed through the table. Flair is walking away, talking mad shit to all the fans. And that this was like Flair going absolutely ape the entire time. Macho Man and Sid Vicious versus Buff Bagwell and Dean Malenko is your main event. And I'll just say it. Buff Bagwell was a cool dude for me back in the day. Dude just he had that look. Hat, pyro, everything. It makes me wonder, if not for Judy Bagwell just being completely nuts and also being a little bit more overprotective on her son, maybe, just maybe, he could have actually been a halfway decent deal in pro wrestling. And I vaguely remember this match more because I remember seeing a lot of people running around behind the stage when I was a kid because I'd be watching the match, but at the same time, we were all the way up in the nosebleeds. So you couldn't see necessarily as well. So you'd watch the little screen they have on the side. Not quite a Titan Tron or a Turner Tron, but close. So I'd be watching the match from up there, but also would see people running around. I was like, oh, hey, something's cool going on. Okay, let's see what's going to happen. All the stuff. One point, Malenko locked in the Texas Cloverleaf on Miss Madness and gets destroyed by Savage and Vicious. It's vicious. It's the power bomb, but then they destroy Nick Patrick and wind up spike pile driving Mickey J. And he sold that like death show ends after Mickey J gets power bombed by Sid. Absolutely making them look like the monsters that they are really cool stuff here. And just overall really fun show. And again, this is something I wa- I watched live when I was 10 years old I could about imagine how much cooler I thought this was. And then it's like, oh, we get more wrestling? Let's go. Four hours. I didn't even know they taped Nitro at this or Thunder at this time. That was kind of like an eye-opener for me. And I remember coming back home damn near midnight, exhausted. But my God, I got to see all the wrestling, all the stuff go down. WCW Thunder, June 24th of 1999, was the first ever wrestling show I went to. Now, when it comes to the other shows, a lot of them have mainly been at the Cajun Dome and occasionally different little areas across the Acadian area, like the old Rooster Pit, some high school gyms, stuff like that. But the Cajun Dome shows back in the day before the renovations was, by the way, the renovations are fantastic. It just doesn't have that same kind of feel, at least to me, 
as it did back in the good old days when wrestling wasn't as like nearly as polished. And I'm honestly, I kind of opine for those days because honestly, I've talked about this before, but I don't think we're ever getting a WWE televised show at the Cajun Dome. I don't think we're going to get an AEW show at the Cajun Dome, at least not anytime soon, if not like the next three years. Because of the whole 2019 fiasco was not a great look. I think a house show might be the best you can get. And the fact that now that you're in the post-pandemic world, WWE wants to make as much money as freaking possible. But appreciate you listening in for the podcast as we hit episode 100, start moving forward into episode 101, and more importantly, getting focused towards all-out Labor Day weekend, Clash of the Castle, Maybe we'll talk about Worlds Collide. We'll see. Doubt it. But appreciate you sticking around for 100 episodes of the podcast. And more importantly, appreciate you listening in and subscribing. And if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to us however you do so. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, any of those great platforms. Or better yet, if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, go ahead and leave us a five-star review and write one down, too, if you have the time. That way, we shout you out on the podcast and also helps us get more noticed. And we want to all be noticed, right? Until next time, enjoy the wrestling. Don't be a jerk about it. We'll be back with you next week with a brand new episode. Hey.